choir and the band make their way down, two things that I want to um, remind you of. After this service is over, 945, this is the International Day of Prayer for the Persecuted Church. And so here in the worship center, we're going to be gathering together. Uh, yes, your Sunday school class may have decided that they want to continue to meet. That's okay. Uh, you can make your choice, your decision, whether you want to be in here with our prayer time. Uh, it'll be kind of a focused led prayer time. You won't just be sitting there by yourself praying for an hour for the uh, persecuted church. We're going to have kind of a program that goes with that, but that starts at uh, 945, 950, somewhere in there. So we encourage you to hang around and hear for that if you'd like to. Also, don't forget at the end of this service and at the end of next service, uh, we will go into a business session, a business meeting. We do this one time each year. We try to handle our business on Wednesday nights. Uh, this past Wednesday, we had a called business session where we discussed the church budget. All the questions and comments could be made in that business session. Then we recessed and we called the meeting back to order. There's no discussion today. The discussion happened during the week. No discussion today, but the end of this service, at the end of the 8.30 service and the end of the 11 o'clock service, we uh, take a vote, and um, you have the opportunity to vote for or against the church budget for 2020. So I want to remind you about that at the end of our service today. Now, we've been in this sermon series, Crossroads. We're drawing to an end now. We've got this Sunday. And next Sunday, that's part of this series, we've been talking about following a biblical path through today's difficult issues. Now, um, today we're going to be talking about a topic that is in the news. It's in the news almost every week now. It is a popular talk, talking point um, from many of those who are in the political arena. It is one of those things that has been discussed. It's one of those things that's been talked about um, in many ways for many people ad nauseum, but it's one that for the church today, we've got to have a biblical understanding of this particular topic. It's important for us to speak not just from a secular political perspective, but it's important for us to speak from a biblical perspective. We're going to be talking about immigrants, uh, refugees, and asylum seekers. That's what we're going to be talking in particular about today. We're going to be talking about that group of people. Now, I just want to say up front, there are a couple of things that we are not going to talk about, that I am not going to address in this message. And there's a very specific reason for that, because these three points in particular are open to a great deal of debate, and I just want to throw these out there, that these are something that I don't think that Scripture necessarily directly speaks to, and so we're going to leave them alone. Even though it fits into this discussion, we're not going to talk about them today because we want to follow a biblical path. And where Scripture speaks, we want to speak. Where Scripture is silent, we would better be careful what we say uh, in that. And so three things in particular I'm not going to talk about today. The first is this. I will not cover the moral should or should not debate regarding the uh, illegal immigration. We're not getting into that. We're not going to get into the discussion about illegal immigration. Um, it, whether it should happen, whether it shouldn't happen, whether we ought to just have a clear path, whether we ought to build a wall, that is not this discussion. We're not going there. Um, secondly, I will not cover the birther controversy. If you don't know what the birther controversy is, I'm not going to take time to explain it to you, uh, other than to say there are people who are in this country and they were born here, their parents came illegally, and there's a question legally of whether they ought to stay or they ought to go. We're not covering that. That's not something that we're going to look at today. We are also not going to talk about quota limitations 
on immigration imposed by the federal government. That is one popular talking point among political people today. I'm not going to talk about that issue other than to say that quota limitations have been in place for decades here in America. The problem is, and this is where the talking point today has come, is that the quota limitations have been lowered rather than where they have previously. That's one of those things that our government needs to figure out. In the church, we are not tasked with that. We may have a voice. You may have a particular voice on that issue, but the Bible doesn't speak about that issue, and so we are not going to either. There are plenty of things on this particular topic that we ought to speak about. Now, when we start talking about immigrants, refugees, and asylum seekers, it's probably important for us to know what we're talking about in this discussion. Now, in the church and uh, outside the church, it's probably good for us to have a common reference point. Now, this is a definition for somebody who is an immigrant. Now, please note in parentheses, there is no legal definition that is provided for, by the federal government in regard to this term. It is an important distinction when we talk about this. Somebody who is an immigrant, the federal government provides no legal definition for who an immigrant is. However, this is kind of a working definition that most people would accept. An immigrant is a person who comes to one country from another country, not just to America, but comes from one country to another country in hopes of having a better life. That's a basic definition of somebody who is an immigrant. Now, there is a distinction between, in this discussion, there's a distinction between somebody who is an immigrant and somebody who is a refugee. And the federal government makes this distinction, and I think it's important for us to make the distinction in the church today. Because in this discussion that's happening in the political arena, many people use these terms interchangeably, and they are not. Immigrant and refugee are two very different classes of people. A refugee, according to the U.S. federal government in the definition, according to U.S. law, a refugee is a person who is unable or unwilling to return to his or her home country because of a well-founded fear of persecution due to race, membership in a particular social group, political opinion, religion, or national origin. The federal government recognizes people who are not just immigrants, but people who are refugees. That is, they are fleeing their country, and they are in fear for their life. They cannot return to their country because as a person of a specific race, belonging to a particular social group, or political opinion, or religion, they will be not just prosecuted, but persecuted and possibly killed. And so the United States government makes a distinction. So when we're talking about immigrants and refugees, let's understand there's a great distinction. Now this third term that you see listed there, asylum seekers, this again has another legal definition according to the federal government. According to U.S. law, an asylum seeker is a migrant, is somebody who has migrated, and they may be a refugee. They're seeking asylum. An asylum seeker is someone who claims to be a refugee. That is, they are fleeing persecution. They are fleeing for their life, and they can't return to their country, but whose claim the federal government has not yet recognized, that has not been definitively evaluated and determined by the government whether they're a refugee or not. So when we talk about this topic, we need to understand we are talking about three very different, very distinct types of persons. And in the news, when you see these terms, it would be good for us to remember that an immigrant is different than a refugee and is different than an asylum seeker. And in this particular topic, 
those distinctions could be important. Now, um, today as we're talking about this topic, understanding the definition of these three, we probably also ought to make some basic recognition of some biblical premises to affirm before we start into this discussion. There are a couple of things that we had just better recognize. First of all, the scripture is very clear that God is in control. God is in control. He is sovereign. He rules. He rules over the entire earth. Yes, there are nations where there is persecution that is happening because of a person's Christian belief or other religious belief because of their racial makeup and profile. But God is sovereign, even in those circumstances. He is ruler, he is in control, and he will determine what he takes care of directly and what he hands off to his people and he delegates to his followers. God can end oppression all around the world. He absolutely can because God is sovereign and God is in control. However, there are times where God hands off to his people part of the task of caring for those who are in the midst of crises. Three premises to affirm. First of all, God is in control. Secondly, in general, in general, I know this is a general definition. In general, God provides governments for protection. Scripture says that. God provides governments for protection. He provides the church for ministry. God provides legislators. God provides presidents, senators, congressmen, kings, rulers. He provides governments for protection. But it's the church's task to minister. And it's a distinction we need to have in this particular discussion. Third, God is particularly focused. Scripture says again and again that God is focused on the lost, displaced, abandoned, orphaned, widowed, and the sojourner. And in this topic of discussion of immigrants, refugees, and asylum seekers, most of those adjectives, descriptors, apply. Among immigrants, refugees, and asylum seekers, many, if not most, are lost, displaced, abandoned, orphaned, widowed, and their sojourners. I lay that out there as a foundation because as we have this discussion, we've got to frame this in the perspective of Scripture. But let me give you just a little reminder of some people who were immigrants and refugees, some who came to this country. Most of these first ones came to this country. Um, Some of you today may be wearing jeans made by this immigrant, Levi Strauss, 1847. He immigrated from Germany. Um, Some of you may have heard of the prize that is giving out for for literature, for for reporting, uh, Joseph Pulitzer. He immigrated 1864 from Hungary. Irving Berlin, if you don't know who Irving Berlin is, you probably know one of his songs at least. God bless America. He wrote that after he immigrated in 1893 from Russia. Bob Hope, face of so many of the... um, Organizations who worked with our military in providing 
relief and um, USO programs for United States military. He immigrated from England. Albert Einstein, 1940, he immigrated from Germany. Madeleine Albright, 1948, she was the first woman Secretary of State in the United States. She immigrated from the Czech Republic. Now, you may not recognize these last two names. Jeremy Yang, he immigrated in 1978 from Taiwan. You may not recognize his name, but you might have used his search engine. He was the co-founder of Yahoo. And if you didn't use his search engine, you probably used the second guy, Sergey Brin, 1979. His family immigrated from Russia. He is the co-founder of Google. They immigrated here to the United States. All of them are immigrants. But you know, there are some other notable immigrants, refugees, asylum seekers that we probably ought to pay attention to. Here are a few of them. Abraham, he was a, a refugee. Joseph, Moses, Joshua, Ruth, David, Esther, and Jesus. Every single one of them were either an immigrant or a refugee. So when we talk about this discussion, when we talk about this topic, let's not talk about it in a vacuum. Let's not just talk about it in the perspective of what's, of what's happening in 21st century America in the year 2019, heading into an election year of 2020, where so much of this discussion is framed, because we're not talking about something that is just happening here. We're talking about something that has happened globally. We're talking about something that has happened historically for millennia. And it's a topic that God has spoken on long before a United States of America ever existed. So when we're talking about immigrants and refugees and asylum seekers, maybe we ought to reframe the discussion just a little bit in a broader perspective than just right here, right now, today. This is a focal question that I have for you. This is kind of the focal point of part of this discussion today. Because most of us, most of us, maybe not all, but certainly most, have never faced this question in our lives. We have never had to do this. But if you were forced today, if you were forced right now to take your immediate family, and leave everything else behind. Everything. Your money, your material possessions, your documents, your friends, your extended family. You can't take grandma. You can't take granddad. You can't take your cousin. You're only escaping with just you and your kids, you and your parents. And you have to go to another country with a radically different culture where they do not speak a single word that you speak. They speak a different language. How would you deal with that? What would you feel if that were I want you to hear from the mouth of somebody who did experience it. Uh, my name is Manar Karchu, and I'm from Damascus, Syria. 
We were all asked what you want to be when you grow up probably a million times during our childhood. But do you remember what you wanted to be? Are you your dream doctor, writer, or engineer? I remember being asked this question when I was 12 years old and the only answer that came to my mind is, I want to be safe. I remember seeing a picture of some kind of a civil war or something on TV and asking my father if this will ever happen to us. He laughed at how silly the question was and told me not to worry. I also remember later asking him another question. On the night the city my mom used to teach in was bombed, I asked my father if he remembers how he lied to me about the picture, and he said, I didn't lie, this is nothing like that picture, this is worse. My little brother at that time had some problems with his jaw that needed surgery but my parents couldn't do anything because it was not safe to go outside. I remember how we ate the same dish for a week because we couldn't go outside to get anything else or we would have ended up in God knows where. The first night we slept at our own house after being trapped at my aunt's for nine days. That was the night my cousin, who was doing his mandatory military service at the Syrian-Iraqi border, went missing. Two days later, we knew that he and everyone in his unit dead. Now I want you all to imagine, my father was coming home from his nephew's funeral when a sniper started shooting at him for no reason. And if my father didn't start his, his car in time and driven away, he would have died that day too. My family had this bag next to the door that we were not allowed to move for some reason. I only found out later that my mom had put, had put our papers and passports there in case we had to run. Tanks everywhere, broken glass and blood in the street, sleeping all in one room thinking we would be safe there, not going to school, my four-year-old brother crying at night, and the image of the tank that faced us on our way to Jordan, and my thinking that this is where I'll die, not in my home, but also not somewhere safe. All these images will haunt me forever. When I left to Jordan, I was thrilled. I mean... No more sleepless nights, no more shooting, and no more air bombs and missiles. But more importantly, no more electric cuts, so I can still watch my favorite TV show. I remember one time shortly after we moved to Jordan, someone had some fireworks in a field next to us. We were asleep. But I remember how I flipped out of bed, carried my little brother, and held my sister's hand, ran to my parents' room as fast as I could, thinking that the war had followed us there. And as the image of going home faded away, a new challenge appeared. Being a Syrian refugee in Jordan was not easy, and the process of starting from zero started to trouble me more and more. But I mean, tanks and blood didn't stop me, and neither would a few strict rules and mean comments. I was always strong on top of my class and willing to help other people. And after spending five years in Jordan, and because of my brother's health, health condition, where we, we were blessed enough to be in Dallas, Texas within only six months from the start of the interviews. And here I am today sharing my story, and I'm happy to say that I finally become what I wanted. I'm happy to say that now I am safe. If it were you, what would you do? This is what I want to read to you today. It's from Matthew chapter 25. 
you'd like to turn there, you can, but I'm going to read it. It's a passage that probably is a little familiar. And rather than pull in all kinds of different scripture today to talk about this topic, I'm going to use this one passage, and I'm going to share with you three things that I hope you'll think about when you hear this debate in the public square. In Matthew chapter 25, verse 31, it says, When the Son of Man comes in his glory, and all the holy angels with him, then he will sit on the throne of his glory, and all the nations will be gathered before him. And he will separate them one from another as a shepherd divides his sheep from the goats. And he will set the sheep on his right hand, but the goats on his left. And then the king will say to those on his right hand, Come, you, blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. I was hungry. You gave me food. I was thirsty. You gave me drink. I was a stranger. You took me in. I was naked. You clothed me. I was sick. You visited me. I was imprisoned, and you came to me. And the righteous will answer him saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you drink? When did we see you a stranger, take you in, naked, clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and come to you? And the king will answer and say to them, assuredly, I say to you, inasmuch as you did it to one of the least of these, my brethren, you did it to me. Then he will also say to those on the left hand, depart from me, you cursed into the everlasting fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me no food. I was thirsty, and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger, you did not take me in. I was naked, you did not clothe me, sick and imprisoned, and you did not visit me. Then they also will answer him, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry, thirsty, a stranger, naked, sick, or in prison, and did not minister to you? And he will answer them, saying, Assuredly, I say to you, inasmuch as you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. And these will go away into everlasting punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. Now, when I read that passage of Scripture, there are a couple of things that give me pause, especially when talking about this topic. There are a couple of things that I realize that I have to address in me. I share them with you in hopes that maybe there are some things that you need to address too. But when I read that passage of scripture, I'm faced with the reality, I'm confronted with the reality that one day, one day, I will stand before God in heaven. There will be a time that I will answer. There will be a time when we will answer. There will be a time when every one of us must answer for what we did or did not do for the least of these. As Jesus tells this, it's not a parable, it's it's more of a prophecy. As Jesus tells this prophecy at the end of the times, when all of the nations stand before before him, he will separate them, uh, right hand, left hand, sheep, and goats, and then he will pose questions. And He's not posing a question to the nations. 
I will not stand before God as part of the American people and answer this question. It is not as if God is going to have people who are Syrians standing over here and people who are Israelis standing over here and people who are Canadians standing over there. And as an entire group of Canadians, they'll have to answer for what they did for the least of these. As an entire group of Syrians, as an entire group of Chinese, they're not going to have to answer for what they did for the least of these. We're not going to answer for this as a nation. We're going to answer for this as individuals. There's going to come a time when I have to stand before God, and I'm not going to answer as an American. I'm going to answer as a human being made in the image of God, talking about other human beings made in the image of God who I did or did not care for them in their time of need. Because you see, wrapped up in this entire discussion today in our culture, there is this lack of vision, there is this lack of understanding that that person is made in the image and likeness of God. It is the one thing that ought to distinguish the church today in this discussion. The one thing that ought to characterize much of what comes from the church today is image of God. They are made in the image of God. Image of God. They are made in the likeness of God. That life is valuable. That life has sanctity just because it is a human life. And whether it's an Iraqi life, whether it's a Syrian life, whether it's an Afghanistan, Afghani life, whether it is an American life, they are all made in the image of God. There will be a time when we've got to answer for what we did or didn't do for the least of these, not as a nation, but as individuals. I'll answer that question and you will too. Secondly, when I read this passage of scripture, the accounting for will be for how and with whom we shared the gospel. That's that's really what the accounting is going to be for. The accounting will be for how and with whom we shared the gospel and the love of Jesus Christ. However, Notice in what Jesus says here in this passage, many of the questions that I will have to answer in sharing the gospel and sharing the love of Jesus Christ, they're not going to be focused on what I felt or what I thought. They're going to be focused on what I did. Most of the questions are going to be focused on my action as to what I did towards others. That's where the focus of those questions that I'm going to have to answer before the Lord because Jesus looks at those who are on his right and he says, hey, you fed me. Hey, you cared for me. You took me in when I was a stranger, a sojourner. You took me in. You gave me a home. You were there for me when I was imprisoned and when I was sick and when I was ill. You were there for me. You fed me. You clothed me. You gave me something to drink when I was thirsty. And all of it is related around the act of caring and showing the gospel, not just speaking the gospel. Now, you've heard that quote from years before. I know that you've heard that quote, and it's been attributed to several different people. It says, share the gospel often, sometimes use words. That's a bad quote. Please don't quote that. We have always got to use words when we share the gospel, but we have to use actions when we share the gospel. It is not an either or, it is a both and. And when we share the gospel, this gospel message has to include word and deed. Because if it's word without deed, the words are empty. If it's deed without words, then the deed itself becomes the focus instead of the Christ who sent us to do the deed. And in sharing the gospel, 
much of what I'm going to answer for when I stand before Christ in heaven is going to be in regard to my action, what I did. That's me, and I've been convicted of that as I've been preparing this message. I just confess to you, I've been convicted of that very thing. I know, I know that there are going to be actions that I haven't done, that I should have done, that I'm going to have to answer for. You know, when I read this passage also, there is another thing that stands out very specifically and very particularly to me. When I look at this passage of Scripture, the last thing, as a focus. Scripture gives no information on how to legislate the issues of refugees, immigrants, and asylum seekers. Scripture gives no specific direction on how to legislate the issues of refugees, immigrants, and asylum seekers. You can't find it in there because it's not in there. Now, there are specific directions about how we're supposed to care for people. But there is no information on how to legislate. There is no information on Scripture on how many refugees a nation ought to allow in, on how many immigrants a nation ought to allow in, on on how many asylum seekers a nation ought to bring in, on, on whether they ought to have walls on their border or not. There is nothing in Scripture that talks about that. There, that is not there. The legislation of these issues is not there. But what you will find in Scripture is this you will find that Scripture gives very specific commands on how to minister to them. And listen, regardless of where you fall in this political debate in our culture today, because I know that there are probably some very strong feelings both ways, even in this room. Regardless of where you fall on this issue, this isn't about legislation. This isn't about what laws our government passes. This isn't about what they do in the legislative side in regard to immigrants, refugees, and asylum seekers. This is about what we're called to do as the church. And whether somebody arrived in this country as an illegal immigrant, whether somebody arrived as a refugee fleeing from political or religious persecution, whether they're a Christian or not a Christian, those things are irrelevant. Let me say it again. For the church, it is irrelevant whether a person has arrived here legally or illegally. Now, hear me very clearly. I am not saying it is okay. That's a legislative thing. What I am saying is whether that person arrived here legally or illegally, I am called and commanded by Christ to feed, to clothe, to care for and minister in the name of Jesus Christ. That's what I'm called to do. Now, I may have a role. You may have a role. We may have a role on the legislative side. God may call you to be a part of that. God may call you to help form and fashion part of what the legislation ought to look like in America. But in the church today, we've got to stop pretending that it's our task. It is our God-given responsibility to legislate because it's not. It's our God-given responsibility to give people a drink of water in Jesus' name. It's our God-given responsibility to feed people in Jesus' name. It's our God-given responsibility to clothe people in Jesus' name, the person who's the sojourner, the person who is the asylum seeker, the person who is the refugee, we are called to minister the love of Christ and share the gospel. Now, what do we do? 
what do we do? Well, quite honestly, that's the part I haven't figured out yet. Did you know here in Richmond, Virginia, all you have to do is a 30-second search to find about eight different organizations that work with immigrants, refugees, and asylum seekers who, like the girl that you heard giving her testimony, are in fear of their very life and have located here in the city of Richmond. Not D.C., not Atlanta, not Dallas, not Los Angeles, not New York City, in Richmond, Virginia. You can do a 30-second search and find about eight different organizations that work with refugees. Didn't know that? I didn't either. And that's part of the problem. It's part of my problem. It's part of our problem. We're not called to legislate. The church isn't called to legislate. We're called to minister. We've got to figure out how to do better. Pray with me. Lord, forgive me for the times that I haven't fed you. Forgive me for the times that I haven't visited you. Forgive me for the times that I haven't clothed you. Forgive me for the times that I just haven't paid attention to those who are created in your image, those that you came to seek and save, those that you died on the cross to redeem by your blood. Lord, forgive me. Show me how I can do better. Show us how we can minister what you've called us to do. To share the gospel with our word and deed. Pray that you'd show us starting today. In Jesus' name.